Good morning. You know, a preacher decided to skip services one Sunday and head to the hills to do some bear hunting. As he rounded the corner on a perilous twist in the trail, he and a bear collided, sending him and his rifle tumbling down the mountainside. Now, before he knew it, his rifle went one way and he went the other, landing on a rock, breaking both of his legs. That was the good news. The bad news was the ferocious bear that was charging at him from a distance, and he couldn't move. Oh, Lord, the preacher prayed, I'm so sorry for skipping services to come out here and hunt. Please forgive me and grant me just one wish. Please make a Christian out of that bear that's coming at me. Please, Lord. That very instant, the bear skidded to a halt and he fell to his knees and he clapped his paws together and he began to pray aloud right at the preacher's feet. He said, Dear Lord, bless this food that I'm about to receive. You know, I think that it's probably safe to say that all of us struggle a little bit with prayer. I mean, I bet we would all like to pray more. I bet we all wish we could pray a little better, maybe deeper, with more conviction, more fire. I bet a lot of us wish we could pray with more faith. I mean, really believing that what we ask for will happen. Matthew 7, verse 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Matthew 21, verse 22 says, If you believe, you will get anything you ask for in prayer. But some of us have tried. We've prayed for healing. Healing didn't come. We prayed for restoration in our marriages and we still got divorced. We prayed for strength, but we're still tired. Man, we try, but we, we struggle with prayer. And we think, you know, I must not be very good at this. Or maybe I, maybe I just don't know how to pray. Is there a right way and a wrong way to pray? Let's go to Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. So apparently we aren't the only ones that struggle with prayer. We aren't the only ones that wonder, are we doing this right? I mean, this was a disciple. You have to realize here, the disciples were Jewish boys who grew up praying. It wasn't like they'd never heard a prayer before. It's just when they watched Jesus pray, when they listened to Jesus pray, something was different. 
Peter, John, James follow Jesus on a mountaintop and watch as Jesus is praying. His face changed. His clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. They watch as Moses and Elijah, two people they've read about in Scripture their entire lives, appear and speak with Jesus. And you know they're thinking, teach us to pray like that. They watch Jesus. He takes five loaves of bread, two fish. He prays, feeds 5,000, has food left over. Jesus, teach us to pray like that. That very same evening, after spending time praying on a mountainside, Jesus walked on water. Man, when Jesus prayed, something happened. So maybe like us, the disciples are thinking, Jesus, we're not sure that we're doing this right. Teach us how to pray like that. You know, a lot of us has always been told that prayer is just talking to God. And Jesus is getting ready to say to his disciples, Now, it's not just talking to God. Now, I think those kind of prayers are good too. I mean, we should all do that. I do it all the time. Throughout the day. I was in my work truck last Friday. And I turned west on the road that's behind the mall, in between the mall and Coles. I crossed the tracks and I see a cop car. He whips it around out of the mall parking lot and turns his lights on. And I'm talking to God at that moment. I say, God... Let him be after this young lady in front of me because she's probably texting as she's driving. The cop pulls me over. The train track I crossed, the lights were on and the crossing arms were down. Apparently that's frowned upon and against the law. So I tried to play the kindness card. Even mentioned that I was a pastor in town. He said, then you should have known better. You know the difference between right and wrong. (laughs) Wrote me a ticket and wished me a happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) You know, a lot of us have conversation prayers with God. Well, you bless your food. You pray for yourself as you walk into an interview. You ask God to help you through a tough situation at work. And these prayers are great. Man, these prayers are important. But it's not the kind of prayers that we're talking about. You see, the disciples are listening to Jesus pray. Man, they're watching closely. Something happens when Jesus prays. These prayers are different. And they're like, show us what you're doing. Teach us how to pray like that. And then Jesus reveals his way of praying. What I'm calling red letter prayers. 
Because they're His words. Teaching His disciples. Teaching all of His followers to come, including you and I, how to pray in a way that makes a difference every single time. And as I've been studying this, and I've been praying in this fashion for the last few weeks. I feel like the first thing that Jesus is teaching us is to pray regularly. Pray regularly. I mean, that's how it starts in Matthew 6, verse 5. Jesus begins by saying, and when you pray. See, he begins by letting us know, if you're not going to make time to pray in this manner that I'm going to teach you, none of the rest of this is going to even matter. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So the word often makes it pretty obvious that Jesus prayed regularly. Even a very busy Jesus whose agenda was to save the world made time to pray. See, if you want to do something, if you want to do something, whether it's Facebook, Farmville, Learn the piano. Get in shape. You diligently carve out time to do it. The thing is, if you're serious about something, you always make room for it in your schedules. Always. So if prayer is important to you, as Jesus says it should be, then you make time to do it. He says you must pray regularly. Another thing Jesus teaches us to do is to pray privately. Pray privately. Verse 5 goes on to say, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. To be seen by men. You see, in this culture, it wasn't unusual for people to be all dressed up. And they'd be yelling these loud and long prayers. And Jesus is saying, stop doing that. Don't be praying just to be seen by others. Quit praying publicly so people say, woo, you're so godly. Look at me. I'm praying out loud and I'm posting spiritual stuff. Now listen to what he says. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. So if you're praying just to bring attention to you, then congratulations. It'll work. But that will be your only reward. He continues in verse 6. 
says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. I want to go back to Luke 5, verse 16 again real quick, where it said, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So not only did this scripture tell us that Jesus prayed often, prayed regularly, but it says he withdrew to lonely places. So it's saying he left by himself. He got away from everyone else. So Jesus is teaching in verse 6, if you want to pray the way that I pray, you need to be alone. Somewhere where no one else sees you. It's just you and God. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And there's that reward again. You guys catching that? Jesus is saying, when you pray in the manner that I am teaching you to pray, there's a reward. Listen to this. When you're, when you're willing to be all alone, and you're willing to pray to a God that you can't even see. Man, it speaks volumes about your faith. Even if you question, God, are you there? God, can you, can you hear me? Hello? When you pray to the unseen God, the unseen God sees you and will reward you. And we'll get to that reward later. So you pray regularly and you pray privately. Next thing Jesus teaches is to pray sincerely. Sincerely. Verse 7 says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Now this is huge. This is what he's getting at. Pagans, which was someone of different religion or mixed religious views, thought that when they would go to pray and there was something that they wanted, they thought, you know, if I use the right words or if I use many words, somehow I'm going to be able to bend God's will down toward my will and then my will will be done. They thought, man, if I just put enough, if I put enough passion in my voice, if I use enough volume when I'm praying, that God's going to be like, okay, okay, calm down, you can have her. You can have him. You're going to get that because you have convinced me to bend in your direction. 
And Jesus says, don't pray like that. That's not what prayer is about. That's not how this works. I mean, don't think for a moment that there's something in you or about you that is so big and so powerful that you're going to move God in your direction. I mean, how big's your God? Do you really want a God that you can convince? And aren't you grateful that God didn't answer some of your prayers when you think about it? Jesus says this is not how it works. He says, do not be like them. Now, this is big. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He says, you don't need to be loud. You don't need to be long. You don't need to beg. You don't need to try to convince me. Your Father knows what you need and, and want before you ask Him. So I know what you're thinking now. If God already knows what I need or want, then why ask? Why pray then? What's the point? And the point is we are inviting God into our lives when we pray. We're inviting Him into our lives. If God just did everything for us and we didn't have to pray, we'd just start to take things for granted. We would cease to depend on Him. So God is saying, I know what you need before you even ask, but I'm honored that you will bring this to me. That you will confess your need. And that is why you should pray sincerely. So Jesus lets us know we should pray regularly, we should pray privately, and we should pray sincerely. And then number four, pray specifically. Pray specifically. Matthew 6, verse 9, Jesus says, This then is how you you should pray. This then is how you should pray. And Jesus teaches what is known as the Lord's Prayer. He says, This is the Jesus way to pray. In this manner, in this sequence, specifically in this order, And I'm sure probably everyone has heard the Lord's Prayer. I bet a lot of you have repeated it at one time or another, and I bet many of you have recited it very often. But I think a lot of people misunderstand it. To be a prayer that we're supposed to recite word for word. But what he's giving us here is an example. It's a model. He's given us the ingredients to go into praying the way that he does. To get the outcome that he gets. And he says, do it like this. 
Our Father in heaven. Our Father. Wow, Father is personal. Father is intimate. That song we sang earlier, Good, Good Father. He's saying, don't view God as this angry disciplinarian who's waiting to enact punishment on you because you screwed up. Because you did something that you shouldn't do. Because you thought something that you shouldn't be thinking about it. Look at God as your Father. A God is, a Father is loving. There's a closeness. There should be a bond there. Jesus even referred to him as Abba, which was a term that children would use in place of daddy. Man, when your children come up to you and they call, they call you daddy and they crawl up on your lap, that means something. Man, they know you're going to listen to them. They know that you're going to love on them. They know that you're here for them. Paul writes in Ephesians 1 verse 5, He, God, predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ. Romans 8 verse 16 and 17, Paul says, The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Jesus referred to God as Father, and it's recorded 170 times in the Gospels. And Jesus is saying, what I have, you have. My Father, your Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed is big. It's majestic. It's holy is your name. See, at the very beginning, Jesus says, I want you to pause here when you pray. And I want you to think about who you're talking to. I want you to think about who you're in the presence of right now. This great big, eternal God who has the power to do more than I could ever imagine. How would be your name? See, it's not about your words. It's about your heart. These quiet time with God prayers, these prayers like this are being able to Honestly, just go before your maker and you can just fall down upon your knees and you can just bask in his greatness. Man, this is father-son time. This is father-daughter time. And there's something that happens in our bodies in that kind of moment. With this kind of worship and this kind of praise... And adoration, it just goes through our bodies. And I'm convinced the longer that we stay there in that kind of moment, the smaller everything else gets. The smaller everything else becomes in our lives. 
which makes it easier for us to go into the next part of the prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, it's in, it's in those moments that we realize it's not about me. It's about you, God. It's about your kingdom. Before I get to me, I must first surrender to you. In other words, God, before we go any further, I want you to know that I want to be more committed to your will than I am to my own. Even if I hate it, even if I disagree with it, even if it costs me, even when I'm having health issues and I'm having marital issues and I'm having financial problems, even when there's so much hurt and there's agony in my kingdom, God, I want you to know before we get to me, your kingdom come, your will be done. Man, this kind of praying, it recalibrates our hearts to be in sync with God. It's not easy to do. It's not easy to do. That's why we're told to pray regularly. We've got to keep coming back to it. See, this is the kind of prayers that Jesus prayed in the garden the night before he was crucified. Man, he knew what was in store. He knew that he was going to be betrayed. He knew that the same people that were hailing him as the Messiah were going to soon be screaming for his death. He knew he was going to be beaten and flogged. He knew that spikes were going to be driven through his hands and feet. He knew. Luke 22, verse 44 says, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. This is a real medical condition. It's where your blood vessels around your glands, they burst from extreme agony. In Matthew 26, verse 38, he says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Three times, three times he has to go back again and pray to get his will in sync with God's. And then in Mark 14, verse 36, he says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Man, this prayer is a little different than, Dear God, thank you for this day. Give me, give me, give me. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what would happen in our country and in our churches? If every morning Christians got on their knees and they said, yes, God, 
Whatever you're asking me to do, I will do it. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in my family, in my work, in my relationships, in the way that I raise my children, in my finances. Thy will be done. See, I think that's what Jesus is teaching us. And then he gets to the part that we're most accustomed to, the give me part. Give us today our daily bread. Jesus is smart. He words this in a way that these young Jewish boys understand very, very well. See, in Jesus' day, children memorized the Torah which are the first five books of what we call the Old Testament. And in the second book, Exodus, God frees the Israelites. They're in the desert and they cry out to God. They say, we're starving. God hears them and He sends manna, bread, to eat. Every morning, He supplies enough to get them through the day. says, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't hoard any back. Rely on me to provide for each day. Ask of me what you need for today. And Jesus is teaching us to do the same. Ask God to provide for you what you need Right now. We already said God knows what you need, but He wants you to acknowledge your dependence on Him. God, give me the strength to face this illness. God, help me to stand up today, today after the loss of a loved one. God, help me to get up and go to work even though my world seems to be falling apart. My prodigal son, my prodigal daughters doing things I never thought in a million years they would do and it's crushing me and I just need enough hope to make it through this day. That's what this means. Then he goes on and says, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Our sins are our debts. This is where we ask for forgiveness where we've fallen short. For where we've missed the mark. See, we have to confess our sins to God. And ask for forgiveness for him. And that part's really simple. I'm sure most of us do that. But it's this next part that causes us to stumble a little bit. 
Jesus is saying you just, you just don't go to God and pray for forgiveness. He says, forgive me my sin as I forgive other people's sin. In other words, we don't have the right to ask God for any kind of forgiveness until we ourselves have forgiven whatever anyone has done against us. It just got real, didn't it? Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The Bible puts this truth in many ways. Galatians 6 verse 7, Paul says, For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. What you put in is what you get out. You receive what you give. So as I'm asking for forgiveness, I have to extend it to the people that are around me. I have to. I don't want to get up off my knees until I've been forgiven, and I don't want to get up off my knees until I've forgiven others. And for some of us, man, that'll make you pray a little bit longer. Because it's so easy to ask for forgiveness, but it's not so easy to forgive people. And our duty is to forgive those that sin against us. To forgive the insults that are directed towards us. Forgive the wrongs that have been done unto us. And then he goes on. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So we just prayed for, for, for forgiveness. This is where we repent. Which means I'm going to turn away from what I'm doing that's sinful. From the things that I know is wrong. In other words, it's not just about getting forgiveness so you can just empty the sin bucket just so you can fill it back up again. And if that's your intention, Jesus would say to you, you're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. Prayer is, God, I want you to Forgive me of my sin and to the best of my ability. I don't want to sin anymore. God, I don't want to look at this filth on the computer. God, I don't want to have sexual relations outside of marriage. I want to stop doing whatever these things are that I know I shouldn't be doing. That are dishonoring to you. And I want to turn away from it. 
And I want to turn towards you, God. And I ask that you deliver me from these things. You deliver me from these desires that I have. And protect me from these temptations that the evil one puts in front of me. You see, Satan comes into our lives. He has these little strong places. He has these little grips on us. He's holding on to parts of our lives. But when we pray, these things begin to be released. Scripture says that when we pray, we fight with weapons that are different from those the world uses. Our weapons have power from God that can destroy the enemy's strong places. I'm telling you, God can do more in one moment of prayer than a counselor or a preacher could do in a million sessions. That's why Satan doesn't want you to pray like this. Satan doesn't want you to pray in this manner that Jesus teaches us. Our conclusion to the Lord's Prayer, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now this part isn't actually in the Gospels. This is what's called a doxology, which is basically a prayer that acknowledges that all things are possible with God. Amen, meaning so be it. Hey, whether or not Jesus said it, it's a great ending. The Lord's Prayer. Man, what a powerful way to pray. What a powerful way to pray. No wonder something always happens when Jesus prays. And this kind of prayer works every single time. Not just because it moves God, but because it moves you. See, I've been praying in this fashion now for three weeks. And I feel alive. Man, I feel alive. I have the same struggles. Worry how I'm going to pay the bills. Worry about my kids. I feel the pressure of trying to be the best husband that I can be, the best father that I can be, fulfilling my obligations at work, at home, the things that I do in the church. But man, since praying like this, I've never felt so at peace. That's why I challenge you to do it. I challenge you to give it a try. Never felt so at peace. And I think that's one of the rewards that we talked about earlier that Jesus mentions is peace. Peace. Philippians. 4 verses 6 and 7.
great scripture here. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, there's a peace in knowing that God has our best interests at heart. There's a peace in knowing that God wants to provide for us daily. There's a peace in knowing that God's in control. His ways are far greater than mine. There's peace in that. And with this peace comes a changed attitude about everything else that's going on in our lives. Another reward... I believe for this way of praying is power. Power. Ephesians 3 verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Man, prayer is the greatest source of power in your life. No prayer means no power. Little prayer means little power. Much prayer means much power. Prayer makes all the difference. And I'm telling you, when we pray as Jesus teaches this red letter way, we come out of things, we come out of that time with authority. We come out of it with confidence. We become able to muster the strength to do things that we never thought was possible. I want to tell you a story about a man named Todd. Todd was on a business trip aboard a Boeing 757. When just moments after takeoff, hijackers took over the plane's controls and they disengaged the autopilot and told all the passengers that they had a bomb on board. The passengers were then gathered into the back of the plane where the curtains between first class and second class were drawn, at which point Todd could see the pilot and the co-pilot lying dead on the floor, their throats having been cut. Within minutes, the plane changed course and was heading for Washington, D.C. Several of the passengers made phone calls to loved ones who'd informed them about two planes that had already crashed into the World Trade Centers in New York City and a third that had struck the Pentagon 
He tried to place a credit card call through a phone located on the back of the plane seat but was routed to a customer service representative who passed him on to an air phone supervisor named Lisa Jefferson. He informed her that hijackers had taken over United Flight 93. That one passenger had been killed along with the two pilots. And at this point, they knew their fate. They knew. Todd, along with some other passengers, formed a plan to take the plane back from the hijackers. Man, what courage this was going to take. What courage this was going to take. These were ordinary people. They weren't superheroes. They weren't trained military. They weren't policemen. They weren't firemen. I mean, how do you gain enough strength and power to go through with something like this? Todd told Lisa Jefferson that the group was planning to jump on the hijackers and fly the plane into the ground before the hijackers could crash it into their planned destination. And then Todd Beamer, a man who taught Sunday school with Lisa Jefferson still on the line, led the others in reciting the Lord's Prayer. And then uttered the now famous words, Let's roll. As they stormed the hijackers and plowed the plane into an empty field in Shakespeare, Pennsylvania. Man, this plane was 20 minutes of flying time away from its suspected target in D.C. Man, don't tell me this prayer doesn't have power. Psalm 29, verse 11. The Lord gives strength to His people. The Lord blesses His people with peace. I'm going to close today by inviting everyone to stand right now. And we are going to recite the Lord's Prayer together. So read along with me, if you would. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, 
and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Know you're always loved in this place. If you need prayers for anything, there's going to be a prayer team comes forward. Have an amazing week.